there are many folks who genuinely just love being involved in pursuing many different things. At the same time, I have two concerns. One is I also have seen more than once people use that label as a way to hide from committing to one thing that they really want to be doing and not being able to be as adept at it as they hope and dream of being and using that as an excuse to never step into a place where they actually see what they're capable of. Welcome back to Let It Out, hosted by me, Katie Dale Bout. Today on the podcast, like every week, I talk to someone who is fascinating and inspiring and just a really interesting guy, Jonathan Fields, who you just heard from in the little intro quote. I picked that one out out of this episode as one that really hit me hard. He was talking about being multi-passionate or feeling like a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, which is something that I've been feeling like lately and have been kind of asking every podcast guest about. And his answer to this question in particular is one of the things from this episode that really stands out to me as something, like I said, hit me hard. It was very eye-opening to me and something that I've really taken with me from this episode that I am thinking about more and talking about. I'm telling everyone about this little insight I I gleaned from this episode. So there's way more where that came from in this podcast episode. And I know that you will love Jonathan Fields as much as I do. For some of you who've been listening for a very long time, Jonathan is one of my first guests. He came on the first season of the show back in 2013. And his podcast, Good Life Project, was one of my inspirations for starting this podcast. He is such a great interviewer, and in this podcast, he's a great interviewee. He just had a book come out. I said that so much in a radio voice right there. He was a great interviewee. I don't know what happened to me right there, but I could re-record this, or I just think it's sort of funny, so I'm going to leave that in. Anyway, Jonathan is back on the podcast talking about all sorts of things, basically anything I was curious about. I actually got to meet him when I was in New York City the week my book came out because I got to go on his podcast and record in the Good Life Project studio, which we kind of allude to a little bit in this episode. But if you follow me on Snapchat, you saw this all go down. I was basically super nervous and super awkward. And then I took a selfie with him on the street with like, it was really windy that day. So our hair is like blowing in our face. And anyway, it was just a really funny interaction. And he's such a great guy and a nice person that I call a mentor and a friend. So I know you'll really love this episode. Just the regular announcements, I guess. So go ahead and leave a review on iTunes if you like this show, if it's valuable to you in any way. That is so helpful. And another thing, you know, to help me be able to keep doing it and keep doing it at the level I'm doing it now and the up-leveling that I want to be doing, donating to the show is something that 
is available that you can do. The link to that, of course, is in the show notes. And another way, if you want to support the podcast financially without spending any extra money than you normally would, shop through my Amazon link. You know, just use that link to shop on Amazon like you normally would. And Amazon throws a couple pennies my way so I can keep doing the podcast. So that's really great. Thank you, Amazon. So you can check that out. Another way to support the show is sharing it with a friend. Just send it along to anyone you think it would be helpful for, anyone you think might find it interesting. And subscribing on your iTelephone or your Android telephone, whatever telephone you use, subscribing to the podcast. It's like giving the podcast a high five when you hit that purple button because it actually helps more people find the show so I can keep doing it in the algorithm or however it works in iTunes. So that would be great. Those are all the things that you can do to help the show. Last week I had on Josh Radner and it was epic. (laughs) It was something that I've always wanted to do, a conversation I've always wanted to have. And thank you to everyone who sent me feedback about that conversation. I obviously was nervous when I was recording it. I was obviously very excited. And so many of you sent me your feedback of, you know, just because I know you, I knew you were a little bit nervous, but you did a great job. And so thank you so much for saying that. And I am so grateful that Josh came on the podcast. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, go back and listen to it. And yeah, it was just a really great week. I am just updating you guys now. If you are on my email list, I wrote more about this so you can know more of the ins and outs of my life and what I'm thinking and feeling if you're on my VIP email list, which you should get on. It's really fun, and I I love sending out those letters. And you can join the Facebook group as well. That's a great place if you want to meet other people who listen to the podcast. That's probably the best way to do that. Again, link to all of this is in the show notes. And, oh, my friend Amanda and I were just shooting Pilates videos in my apartment because she's coming out with that course, or it's out now. It The registration closes at the end of the month on the 31st, I think. So, again, link to that's in the show notes. I love you guys, and enjoy my conversation with Jonathan Fields. So, welcome back, Jonathan. Thank you so much for coming back on on the podcast and and talking with me again we were chatting a little bit before I I pressed record about how the first time you came on the podcast was 2014 which we both can't believe that was already over two years ago I know craziness Um, it is craziness well I'm I'm excited to be back and uh I I hope I do your show justice (laughs) oh yes you totally will and the last time I saw you was in person in New York City, right when my book came out. Indeed. And I got, yeah, and I got to stop by the Good Life Project studio and record a riff with you about my book, which I don't know if I told you then, but I was super nervous and starstruck <laughs> to meet you, but you were so nice, even when I was like messing up my riff because it was surreal to be in the podcast studio of the podcast that inspired me to start a podcast and so thank you so much again for for having me and and being so supportive and nice when when my book came out and just being such a great mentor and friend oh yeah it was my pleasure it was a lot of fun and you didn't seem nervous at all oh thank you well (laughs) apparently i faked it really well Um, anyway, as you know, it, it takes a village to to put a book out there. So thank you and congrats on your new book, which I'm so excited to to chat about. I've got my copy that's all like highlighted and stuff right in awesome. front of me. 
Thanks. Yeah, it's been, um, and now you know, like very personally, it's uh, it's always like uh, you know, a crazy adventure trying get something from your head and then put it out into the world in the form of a book. And uh, so when it actually looks like a book and feels like a book and you can turn the pages, it's it's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. And I know this is your, your second time putting a book out there, but I would love to know, you know, let's start there. How are you feeling about this particular project, this book hitting the shelves? And, and you know, by the time this is airing, it's out now. So, you know, what are your thoughts and feelings about this being in the hands of people and you know you I have an I'm very special and have this advanced copy so a lot of people have have already been reading it what have you been feeling as the person who put this information out there and knowing how many people it's it's going to touch that's a lot to hold so how how are you feeling and and how are your buckets doing which we'll get into what that means (laughs) yeah I you know I feel pretty good um it's been a really interesting book, um, and it's taken a lot of work and a lot of changes in the way that I write. And because uh, it's not, it's not the type of book that I've written. Um, mm-hmm. This is actually so. It's actually the third book. So the first one, I, the first two, were really they were about kind of like the human condition and people and living a good life. But fundamentally, they're also built around careers and entrepreneurship and sort of like going deep into the creative process and. And this is the first time that I've kind of almost let go of the shield of having to tie something in some way to like the quote legitimacy of business mm-hmm. um, in order to feel like, you know, I was writing something that was valuable and just kind of step out and say, you know what, fundamentally underneath it all, what really interests me is just exploring human potential, is exploring like the human condition and how we can how we can live in the world in a way that where we just we feel good about you know what we're doing in the world, who we're doing it with, how we're, we're contributing, and um, and not having to go back and say you know relate it to this anchor of business and entrepreneurship and careers, which is all valid and legit, but at the same time, um, it's a bit of a coming out book for me and kind of you know positioning me as saying hey like what what I'm really what I've really been about underneath all of this is exploring human potential and um and that's so so it makes me a little bit anxious to, to kind of mm-hmm. go out to that place i feel like it's a little untethered but at the same time it feels really good to just kind of like step out and the response the early response to the chapters and to the the review copies has been pretty amazing and and now that it's in people's hands it's um i'm just really excited i'm excited to have something that i hope will i hope people will not just read, but actually do. Um, yeah. You know, whether you buy the book, whether you take it out from your library, I don't really care. Just, I, yeah, I would love to know that in some way, it's you know, people have gone through it and then actually tried, you know, taking action on it in some way, and then it's it's led to some sort of meaningful outcome in their lives. That's that's really sort of my my greatest hope for it. Yeah, that that's so cool. It, I love the way that the book is broken down and and I really want to to talk about that a little bit more in a second but part of it is a guidebook it it goes through day by day and which reminds me a bit of my book since my book is also a guidebook of tools and I can just speak to that a little bit seeing people doing the actual tools and Instagramming that and one of the tools requires them to it's kind of like a scavenger hunt and they have to you know tweet something and you know with the hashtag 
tool, whatever, from Let It Out. And it was so cool for me to see people actually doing that, which I'm sure that you, you know, are getting tons of that too. And it's like, oh my gosh, they're actually doing it. This thing that I made, people are actually having an experience with. And that's just like such a beautiful feeling to create something that can actually be used by people and you totally did that with this book it's so great and I'm I'm already loving it and, and going through it and it's it, it is really personal too especially you know that the story you tell right in the introduction is so personal and and so well written and, and just so creative and I'm I'm so excited for for people to read that and and really mostly above that really understand this three bucket approach which is what you talk about it a lot largely in this book, which is, you know, the formula behind living a good life and being someone who's followed your work for a long time. I've, I've heard about this before, but it was so wonderful to the way it was presented in this book. And it's so organized, so awesomely. And I would love if you could talk to us about a couple of things. I, I want to know how that idea for the, you know, the bucket approach came to be you know if you maybe remember when you thought of it I would love to hear about that and then I'd love to get into it a little bit and 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 talk to people more about what those three buckets are so people can start thinking about where they fall within that yeah sure um and and I'm glad I'm glad it's I'm glad it, like it resonates with you because the idea you know the idea was that really um because I I question myself and I think a lot of us question ourselves when we're trying to put our own work into the world. You know, one of the big questions is always because there's you know massive imposter syndrome, and you're kind of like, but who am I to write a book like this? I mean, come on, I, I wrote a book called How to Live a Good Life. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not like it's the first book out there that sort of explores the topic. So you know, I really had to get okay with with answering that in a way that I, that I felt like was really adding value. So you know, what I, the place that I came to is that. You know, the vast majority of what we've needed to know, we've already known for a really long time, yet we still suffer. We still move through life feeling like we're not seen, we're not fully expressed, we can't figure out how to access our potential, we're, um, we're living other people's lives, we're constantly behind. You know, so, so the question for me was, well, if pretty much everything that we need to know has been out there for thousands of years, we're, we're still pretty much you know, um, struggling so much, then where's the real disconnect? It's not an information. And what I really realize is it's largely in the way that, that it's conveyed, that the way that the ideas are conveyed. And there's, there, there's so much complexity and process layered into stuff. So what I wanted to do was just really simplify and really distill. And I thought about, you know, my now 50 years on the planet and, my experience living and having some great successes and big failures and and you know decades at this point in deep study and learning at the feet of so many incredible teachers and could I distill this into something so simple that people would would hear it once remember it for life and then be able to use it as a tool to guide their behavior every day from that moment forward and that was my kind of objective so I started, you know, and I've played with so many different models and frameworks over the years. I'm somebody who sees patterns and how things go together. And so, you know, at one point, this was layers and layers and many buckets and all this. And, and I kept trying to, I kept kind of saying to myself, not simple enough, not simple enough. You know, how do I keep, how do I preserve the power, um, but make it simpler? And eventually, I, we, you know, I distilled it down to, um, 
these three buckets and and the idea was I wanted something you know just like I said you you hear it once you remember it for life and it guides your behavior and um and it's it probably started coming together a couple of years it's funny because the book that I actually sold my publisher is not the book that I ended up writing and um and a lot of this model really took shape and I I actually had the time to really test it with a lot of people who've been through our programs and stuff like that to validate it because I wanted to make sure it actually really worked. Um, you know, it worked in my life, it made sense, but I really wanted to make sure it was robust. And um and I ended up shifting gears in the middle and writing a different book and went and I had to, you know, but I had to go to the publisher and explain why I wanted to write a different book. And and that ended up being this book. And when I kinda told them the new idea and about the buckets, they were, they turned to me. They're like, "Why, why didn't you sell this book to us first? Because <laughs> it makes perfect sense." Um, and my answer was, you know, because it hadn't fine, it wasn't final. It hadn't formed on the way that it needed to, and I hadn't been able to test it enough at that point. And um, and I wanted to make sure that if I put something into the world, it was valid and it was you know rigorous and it would really make a difference. So. It's kind of where it all emerged from. So, you know, the ideas draw from every part of life, from just living in New York City to, you know, like studying Eastern philosophy to teaching yoga to, you know, um, building companies and supporting people and training and speaking. So, um, and trying to distill that all into a really simple model was the ultimate goal. Well, high five over the internet. Good job. You totally did that. And I'm so excited for people to learn more about it. So let's give them like a little preview of it. I would love if you could talk about what is the three bucket approach? What are the three buckets? And, you know, there's some great questions in the book where people can kind of rate themselves and get really honest about where they are, which which I loved. Um, But I'd love if you could kind of go into it a little bit. So right now, before people even get the book, they can start thinking about, you know, where they fall within those buckets. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So it's a really simple idea. And the idea is that your life is made up of three different buckets. And we call them vitality, connection, and contribution. And a good life is the process of filling those buckets and keeping them bubbling over. You know, the fuller they are, um, the better your life becomes. The emptier they are, the worse your life becomes. If, if at any given point one runs dry, you're going to be in a world of hurt. If two run dry, you'll be in excruciating pain. If all three run dry, you will be figuratively and literally dead. So what are those three buckets? You know, vitality. When we think about vitality, there are all sorts of things that we can talk about if you want um, that would go into it and that you could do to fill that bucket. But fundamentally, what we're talking about is optimizing your state of mind and your state of body. And always I talk about them as the same thing because you can't disconnect them anymore. The science is so crystal clear. Um, The connection bucket is about your relationships. It's about what happens between you and other people and, and between you and the environment, between you and your natural world, between you and any sense of God or source or anything bigger than you, or and you and a community of like-minded people. Um, it could also be you and pets, any, anything that's really meaningful to you. It's, it's about the in-between. And the third one is your contribution bucket, and that's about how you're contributing your gifts to the world. It's about a lot of people equate that to, to your work bucket, um, I don't necessarily go there because what I've learned over the years and sometimes I've experienced this in my own life is the thing that I get paid for isn't always the thing that I consider my genuine contribution. Yeah. It's not 
It's not the place where I generally light up and find the most meaning. Often it is. And, you know, like I'm in a window in a season of my life right now where it really is really well aligned. Um, but it, it's not for everybody and it doesn't have to be. And I think sometimes putting that construct on people actually um, does more damage than it does good. Yeah, I love that. We were just talking about that a little bit before we started recording about how that's such a valuable lesson that I learned over the years of not having to put the pressure on yourself to make your connection bucket necessarily be where you're making your money or, or I'm sorry, your contribution bucket. Um, but it can be in, in, in different seasons of your life, it can be. So that's so cool. And i love this approach so much it's so simple and the way that the book is is broken up is so great so there's this amazing introduction and then you go into you know much more information about these buckets um but then my favorite part is the way that the book is broken down into a section for each of the three buckets with different days broken up it's kind of like a scavenger hunt for your life to really make it make it better and the best it can be so where what are some of your tips for how people can approach the book because i know you say in the book that people can go through it day by day um in all of the different buckets or if they're like you know what i've got vitality on lock i'm just like feeling so great there i want to skip right to connection or because that's you know the bucket that seems most empty to me or i want to skip to um contribution do you think that that's a okay way to approach your book and then maybe come back to a different bucket or what do you think there yeah totally and yeah the book i really i wrote the book so that you don't actually have to read it from front to back you know in a linear fashion you can jump around you can cherry pick you know, most of the chapters after the earlier chapters are really short and sweet, and you know they each fundamentally have, um, you know, like a story, a bit of science, and then something to do that'll really move the needle. And the idea is that you can do exactly what you said. You know, you can either kind of say, you know what, um, but I'm pretty dialed in. I love my work. It's it's deeply meaningful. I feel lit up. I feel like I'm leveraging my strengths to their fullest and you know, it's it's deeply aligned with what I believe in the world, and uh, but I feel like um, you know my the state of my connection bucket just isn't really good. I feel like I haven't been giving good attention to the people around me, whether they're friends, families, you know, like an intimate partner, um, to your colleagues. You feel disconnected. You don't feel a sense of belonging to community, or a bit isolated. And you may say, okay, you know what? I'm gonna. I just want to. I want to really focus a lot on doing a little something every single day to fill up my connection bucket. And so so you can do that. You know, so there's a whole section which is really just, okay, spend 10 days doing a deep dive there. Or you can, if you feel like, you know what, there's, um, I think everything is a little bit low right now and I'm not entirely sure where to start, then the book is set up where you can kind of, you can circle around and just, you know, um, spend 10 days circling around on each one so a total of 30 days where you can just go one at a time and filling each one a tiny bit with a little something to do um, and fundamentally there's also there's a tool in the beginning of the book and it's and it's actually made even easier by a sort of a tool that we have online that helps make it super easy um, which which I call a snapshot which is basically if you really can't figure it out again my goal was to make this so simple and so that basically nobody has an excuse not to take action. Yeah. Then you do a really fast snapshot, which gives you really quick sense and understanding 
of which bucket you might want to focus on on any given day. So um, you can almost make it like an automatic process. Yeah, I love how experiential the book is, and I love how much it's you give people so many tools and resources and it's so activity based and there's a lot of things that come with the book online like a built-in online community and like you were saying the tool to really take the pulse on where you are currently can you talk about some of those things that that are available with the book yeah you know i wanted to a book is an amazing um vehicle to spread an idea um, you know, it's relatively short, it's sweet, it's inexpensive, it's available pretty much everywhere these days. So it's a great way to put an idea into somebody's hands, allow them to experience it, to play with it, to dance with it, and then share it. it it's not a great tool to um, be able to provide a lot of assistance outside of that. So, you know, one of the things that I talk about in the book is developing an awareness or a mindfulness practice. And, and then I actually lay out, you know, I, I pretty much script what that practice would look like in the book. But as somebody who's had a, a long-standing practice myself, what I know is that, especially when you're starting out, it can be so much easier if you start out in a guided way where you're just listening to somebody else's voice guide you through practice. So we can't really do that in the form of a book. So, you know, what I did was I created, and, you know, an example of a resource would be uh, a guided, a simple, free, downloadable, guided um, mindfulness practice where somebody can drop it onto their smart device and so they have it with them all the time. And then just take quick breaks and be able to do it in a guided way. Um, so it was important to me that when I thought that there was something that that could be created outside of the book that would really help people not just read the book but do it and act on it and build it into a practice, a good life practice, um, I want to be able to provide those tools and those resources. And, and the other thing that you mentioned is a, is a community. We've been building community. And, and my businesses for, actually, I guess it's decades now, whether they're brick-and-border businesses or online, community has always been such an important part. But I'd, I never really understood why or how important it was until the last few years when I started doing a lot of research on belonging and community. And... What's so fascinating to me, and so you've lived in the yoga world also, and I know you, um, you know, anyone who's listening to this, if you've been in a yoga practice or if you've been in any sort of faith-based place or congregation or church or whatever it may be, what you'll know is that there are really three three important pieces. There, There's the teacher or um, the person who's leading the congregation, you know, whoever that person is. Um, there's the teachings, and then there's cu- the community. And you need all three of those in order to really support the sustained action that leads to real growth. If you take away any one, then it just makes it harder. It doesn't mean it's not possible, but it makes it a lot harder. And what I've come to believe over the years is that community is super important. So we've been building community in everything that we do. We have a number of communities that we built for different programs that we run and now you know, we're growing sort of, um, we, we've developed this amazing, really global community around Good Life Project and created a sort of an online home base for everybody to gather. And it's just a great place to share experiences and also find support, especially when you're looking to do things that will um, sometimes require a little bit of accountability or love or friendship or advice or wisdom along the way. 
Um, I'm curious with what you're doing too, with with um, the journaling practice. Do you feel like that's really more of a solitude-based practice, or do you feel like some people like there's sometimes there can be a community element to that? Hmm, that's a really great question. I think I think the piece that makes journaling journaling is that it is a solitude practice. I think you can be so unfiltered and raw and vulnerable and real with yourself as kind of a first step. And then once you get to know yourself better and you develop that self-awareness that you might not even have with someone really safe, like a therapist or a coach or a mentor, because there's that little bit of filtering that happens because you want them to like you, right? If you're like me, if you're a people-pleasing person. So I think doing that solitude practice of journaling makes it journaling and not, you know, a blog post or something that you're writing and sharing. However, I think the more that you do that vulnerable journaling work on your own, then having a community is so crucial and so important and also related in the way that you're you're able to be more vulnerable and more yourself and more of a contributor to that community in a really authentic way if you're able to know yourself more. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think it does. Yeah, I have I'm I'm sorry, I'm like asking you questions, but I'm curious no, about, I love it. about this now. There do you find that um because it's interesting, I'm a writer and Almost every writer that I know is also a journaler, and and I'm not. It's just for some reason, it's just it's not been the thing that I've really gravitated to, even though I write in so many different ways. So I'm, I'm curious. Do you find that when people are starting the practice of journaling, is there resistance to like that to the early time where there's like a window where you kind of have to overcome the resistance and then it becomes a habit, or do people usually dive into it pretty easily? Oh, no, 100% the first thing you said. That's actually why I wrote the book was because, you know, I started journaling as a fluke. It was, you know, I, I talked about this in my riff, actually, but, you know, nobody told me to start journaling. I intuitively, like, wandered in that section of the bookstore and spent time journaling, and then I felt relief. It was cathartic for me. And so when I started to be, like, telling other people, like, hey, do you want to, you know, do you want to try journaling? It's kind of weird, but it helped me, you know? And then people were like, oh, no, I'm not a writer. I wouldn't have anything to say. And really judging what came out, that's when I started to just give people questions. And that's essentially how my book came to be. It's it's a bun- It's 55 questions, essentially. And, right. and that, I think having a good question, you'll get a good answer. And so now, you know, I kind of use journaling as a jumping off point for taking the pulse on on where I am and, and getting to know myself better so I can you know I actually did your bringing it back to your book a little bit the I think the exercise in your book about figuring out which how full each of your buckets are and, and you know figuring out where you are I think that would be a fantastic exercise for someone to journal with and to figure out you know because how often do we really ask ourselves how are you feeling or how are you feeling in this one specific bucket of your life? And sometimes you can just kind of think through it and that's fine. And some people are mental processors. Some people are verbal processors. I'm kind of a verbal processor and a written processor. I think that's just kind of how I move through things. So I think in that sense, it can really be a companion to getting to know where you are in your life. Yeah, I love that. We, we, um, there, I'm not sure where it'll be by the time this airs, but we've, um, while you know, the, the book itself is traditionally published, 
at the same time, we've actually designed and are publishing um, through Good Life Project a companion practice journal for the oh, book. Cool. And it's designed, you know, so that then the idea is that the book itself is sort of introduces the idea. It really helps guide people in a much more in-depth way through the first month or so of exploring it. But just like journaling, you know, the idea is we want these these things to become a daily practice. Yeah. So we created just a companion journal, a practice journal that that um, that sort of keeps giving you prompts every day. Um, and I think uh, it, it's kind of interesting because in a way. I think I've I've developed the practice of doing that myself. Um, I just don't make journaling a part of it, um, but I keep saying I want to. So at some point, I may I may have to have you as my coach to help me get, me yes, get started. Yes, I always say I'm not a journaling expert. I'm just a journaling <laughs> right. cheerleader, and I'm the biggest cheerleader ever and enthusiast of it. So awesome. definitely, you have a personal coach anytime. <laughs> cool. So circling back to your book, and then I have some other questions that aren't directly related to the book, but I want to know, or I want you to tell everyone else rather, because I already know because I read them, but there are some laws to the three buckets, and that part was really fascinating to me, and I think will really kind of drive home how simple this approach is and how impactful it is. So could you talk about going back to the three buckets, the laws associated with them? Yeah, so three simple buckets and three simple laws, and and you can't violate them. They're based. They're like laws of nature, basically. Yeah, like gravity. Yeah. Um, the first one is that the buckets all leak. So we like to think of these beautiful shiny buckets. Oh, I'm gonna fill my vitality bucket, then it'll be full, and I'm done. And then I'll fill my connection bucket, and you know it's full, and I'm done. And then I'm gonna fill my contribution bucket, and it's all topped off, and I'm totally done. And that would be awesome except life doesn't work that way and the buckets don't work that way it turns out that everybody's buckets leak and the further we get into life the more they leak and the faster they leak so the process of filling them is never actually done you know you can top them off and then you come back the next day and you'll find out well they've lost a little bit they need a little bit more love and that's it's the simple truth um, you know it's the nature of the way that they work so the idea is when you understand that, then you start to accept the fact that this is not a place that, where you arrive at a state where all of your buckets are filled and you're good for life. You know, the, the truth is you'll be constantly doing little things to keep filling them for life. And that's actually awesome because it gives you opportunities every day to keep exploring and keep learning and keep connecting and keep trying new things, knowing that you know, you've got not just an opportunity to do this, um, but you need it. You know, each one of your buckets needs it. So that's law number one: is that all the buckets leak. Um, law number two is that your all of your buckets, the height of your all, all of your buckets, or the capacity of them, will always be capped by the least full bucket. And this is sometimes a little bit counterintuitive, but let me use an example to kind of make it real. Okay. Let's say you're working really, really, really hard. Like you have something big you want to accomplish. You're focusing on your contribution bucket. You want to bring your gifts to, like, to just contribute to the world on a profound level. Like, create a huge legacy. Make a big difference. A big company. A tremendous body of work. Serve on a level that nobody else has served. So you're just working like crazy to fill that bucket. And you realize, no matter how hard you work, it's just it's getting like sixty percent full, and then it just stops. So you're thinking, okay, I know the problem. The problem is I'm working hard, but somebody told me I need to work smart. That's the problem. I'm not working smart. It's like, okay, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn productivity and efficiency and I'm going to delegate and get systems and apps and stuff. I'm going to work so much smarter and that's going to let me go that remaining 40% and just totally you know, have that contribution bucket brimming over. And then you do all that stuff and maybe you get like 5 or 10% more full. But still, it's just – it's like there's this, this cap that you just can't – there's a ceiling you can't break through with it. And you can't work harder, you can't work smarter, and you can't figure out what else to do. And the truth is, for most people, this happens. And the reason is, it's, it has nothing to do with working harder or smarter. The problem is that for most people, they've devoted so much energy to filling that bucket that they've largely ignored the other two buckets, their connection bucket and their vitality bucket. Their relationships are falling apart, or at least they're a little bit estranged. Their health, their state of mind, their mindset, their mood is you know it is anywhere from not great to terrible. And the sometimes counterintuitive thing is that the way to unlock, the way to actually unlock the capacity in your contribution bucket to be able to access your full potential and the way that you bring your gifts to the world, it's not to work harder or smarter. It's not to focus on that bucket. It's actually to go back and do some filling of your vitality bucket and of your connection buckets because as long as they're low, they will forever limit the capacity of the other ones. And what most people find is if they actually accept that, they'll be like, oh, so I'm going to go and just do some really simple things like sleeping better, eating better, um, setting aside time to be with somebody I love. And actually spend less time working, you know, like work less hard and sometimes even less smart. And all of a sudden the contribution bucket begins to unlock itself and the wellspring of potential that they were just like fiercely trying to figure out how to unlock, unlocks itself. And the reason isn't because they focused on it. It's because they focused on filling the things that they had ignored instead. So that's the second law. There's, there's a third one. Um, Can I just get, ask yeah. you a quick? I just totally. have a, something to share before we get to get to the last law because I didn't really want to share that too. But that was such a great example, and I just wanted to, as you were saying that, I was thinking of another example that the law works sort of in reverse. And I was wondering if this is maybe something that you've heard of or or you've seen with this law or not. But I talk to a lot of people, and because of my story, I, I talk with a lot of people who have struggled with orthorexia and have been so engrossed essentially in the vitality bucket in yeah. the body bucket and that it's kind of the same thing what i tell people to always do is is focus on your life as a whole and making your life your masterpiece not your body and you know when that conversation kind of just shifting this example to focusing reversing your example essentially of you know focus on your contribution more focus on your relationships and your connection bucket more and not so much on the vitality bucket and your vitality actually will improve you know when you're not so focused on it it's it's kind of like that old saying you know a pot being watched or a yeah. bucket being focused on too much you know will never boil or whatever so yeah no i love um, that it's, a, it's a, another great example yeah it's just kind of like a reverse of what you're saying which just really proves the the law so anyway i just wanted to share that with you because mm. i thought it was interesting awesome um oh so the third law third, too. third law yeah and the, the really simple one and that's basically the buckets don't lie we um we we love to delude ourselves <laughs> um, you know we love to kind of pretend that certain things are happening that aren't happening so we love to pretend well i don't actually you know my well my connection bucket 
it's actually okay, you know. The fact that um, I haven't talked to any friends that I really care about in a while, the fact that I haven't spent any time with my, you know, my partner, the fact that um, my family, you know, isn't really seeing a whole lot of me or when I'm there and completely not present, that's okay because, you know, they're they're there for me. They're kind of dialed in. They're locked in and, and they'll just go along for the ride. Um, we love to delude ourselves. You know, we do this with our health, with our vitality constantly. It's not so bad. You know, it's actually pretty full. When the reality is, you know, for very often, it's grinding down towards empty. And so the third law is just really simple. The buckets don't lie. It doesn't matter what you tell yourself. It doesn't matter the rosy picture you may paint. If a bucket's, you know, heading towards empty, it's heading towards empty. And it absolutely will grind you to a halt. Um, no matter how much you tell yourself, that's not the reality. So, um, so in the end, you know, you might as well just own that and be honest and say, it's time for me to do some work. Yeah. Yeah. So good. I love this bucket approach so much. So another thing I'm curious about from your book, and I know this might be a challenging question to answer because people have asked me a lot about which tool was my favorite in the book, but I have to do it to you. Do you have a day? Because like we said, the book is broken up by these different days. Do you have a particular day or activity or part from the book that's just your favorite or, or really sticks out to you as one that you know you really love or have are excited to have people utilize in their life? Um, you know, my, my easy default answer would be... Um, cultivating a mindfulness practice, but I'm, an, I'm not going to go with the easy default. Okay. So that, to me, that's sort of, that's my central practice. I mean, I have morning practices and stuff like that, but that's the center. But I'll do something a little bit different. Um, and because not, not too long ago, we, we do an annual uh, summer camp for adults where, you know, this year nearly 400 people got on planes, trains, and automobiles from around the world to go and play and learn and live communally in a kid's sleepaway camp 90 minutes outside of New York City. And, uh, and at the end of that, I actually read a chapter. Um, as part of my closing talk to everybody, I read a chapter on stage. And, and that chapter was a chapter called, um, I'm blanking on the name of the chapter. Um, <laughs> it's my own book. It was a chapter entitled. It's okay. Um, that, hap- that happens to me all the time. <laughs> I know. So I was saying, like, did that make it in or not? Um, <laughs> Dance like nobody's watching because they're not. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's definitely in there. I just read it. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely <laughs> in there. Um, and the idea is that I was basically talking about the idea that um, it's really hard to be joyful when you're not yet you, when you don't just mm. let go and just be you. And But it's also for so many people, it's really hard to just feel like nobody's watching and be themselves. Um, and one of the things that I, that I wrote about was sort of in a really embarrassing way. Um, back in a, in a past life when I was a lawyer, when I was in law school, actually, before I would take every exam. And, and in law school, um, for most of your classes, your entire grade is based on how you do on a single day, on a single exam. So there's massive amounts of pressure. Oh, so I would, I would close my door and um, I would crank up the music. And my, my embarrassing, like, loud dance jam was George Michael's Freedom 90. Mm-hmm. And I would just dance around my room um, like a complete you know, geek and just um, flailing about. And, uh, but it made me feel so good. And it just kind of just, if you can, for a heartbeat, tap into that and let sort of like that part of you um, 
be seen, even for a moment, it can be so powerful. So at the end of camp, when I'm reading this whole chapter and I shared that whole story, and then I, you know, and, and I got an amazing response to it. And during the whole camp, there was amazing stuff going on. And one night there was this giant dance party. But I realized that nobody had actually seen me dance at camp because I wasn't there. I'm kind of running around behind the scenes helping to run the whole show. So I invited everybody up on stage who was helping out. We had this amazing thing. And then at the last minute, we cranked up um, George Michael's Freedom oh, 90 on the loudspeakers and just had this like giant dance party. And I just like jumped right into the middle of it with everybody Aww. else. And And I think sometimes we just get so caught up in you know, how we're supposed to be and the facade of being serious. Yeah. And there's so much weight that we carry around when we do that, that it's like the, the amount of energy it takes to prop up, you know, the mask of the person that we think everybody else wants us to be. That energy, if you let go of propping up the mask and you just devote it to being yourself, um, is so astonishingly freeing. And it's it's the thing that starts to let yourself be you. And, and that's the foundation to be joyful. And, and I found that, oddly enough, um, one of the ways to reverse engineer being a little bit more free is sort of somatically, is literally start just every day, turn off the lights, turn on your favorite jam, and for literally three minutes. And like, I'm a 50-year-old, like I'm a middle-aged dude from Manhattan, and I did this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it felt awesome. You know, so start with nobody watching and then maybe invite some people in. And um, there's a weird thing that happens when, when we start to just get loose in our bodies and like let it move and, and reconnect with just free movement. It starts to trickle outwards um, and we start to find ourselves being a little bit more free, a little bit more open, a little bit more us in other parts of our lives. Um, at least that's been my experience. And I know having you know, built a yoga studio and taught yoga for a lot of years. I saw this happen on a daily basis so many times that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty solid on the concept. Yeah. I think it's so important, especially for people, like I'll speak for myself. I'm a very in my head person. I think a lot of thoughts and getting in my body is really important because it's not my default, which sounds like counterintuitive like it should be my default to be in my body but I think I think so much I'm, I'm so much intellectual in my head that it it's so beneficial for me to let go in that way and I think a lot of people can relate to that so I love that one that's a great one cool so I would let I'm so curious about people's creative process and especially with writing. So I would love if you could talk to us a little bit about your writing process and what creating this book in particular um, is like and any, you know, sort of tips on on writing or or putting a book out there and how, you know, you really made this one happen. Yeah, um, probably don't do it the way I made (laughs) this one happen. It's generally not a good idea to go back to your publisher after you, like, uh, (laughs) sold them a book and tell them that you want to write a different book. Um, but for me, I actually, I, I, I think I shared earlier, I, I've had a, a really a long-standing fascination with communities and belonging. And so I wanted to do a deep dive into that. And that's what the original exploration was. And, and I'll probably circle back to that at some point down the road. Um, but I found that for various reasons, it actually wasn't the book that needed to be written at the, at the time. So I went back to my publisher and said, hey, listen, there's this other book that I want to write called How to Live a Good Life. And this is really what it's about. And 
thankfully they were awesome and they were open and they were like, yeah, that sounds awesome. We're totally on board. Do it. And I thought that was all good. Um, and then I wrote the manuscript for it based on what I, you know, what I, I thought we were all on the same page with. And, and I handed in the manuscript and they came back to me with comments and said, this isn't it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that had never happened to me as an author before. And uh, so we had a conversation and we talked it through and we came up with uh, a new direction. And I was pretty confident that, you know, okay, now I get it. And I went off and I wrote a new manuscript. And, you know, so months and months later, I hand it in and I wait after that and I finally get the word back again. And the word is, mm, this isn't it either. And we're not sure what to say now. So I was like, wow, um, this is not what I expected and this is not what I wanted to hear. Uh, and I, you know, had a, a little bit of a coming to the writing gods moment about what I wanted to do with it and realized that what I was needing to do was write a book that I hadn't written before and in a very different genre, you know, stepping away from business and entrepreneurship and careers and just owning this very different space. And I realized that the book needed to be written in a different way too. And I also realized that while I totally love geeking out on deep philosophical nuanced explorations and a ton of science too, most people don't, you know, I'm a little bit of a weirdo that way. Um, so I really need to figure out how to convey strong ideas in a, in a way that were just really easy to digest and, and engaging and fun and interesting, but also deeply valuable. And, and that meant that I needed to learn how to write a different kind of book. So, and I didn't know what that book was like or how it was structured. So I went and I read a ton of books in the genre and started to understand what it needed to be. And then um, ended up writing pretty much an entire third manuscript that was totally different before I finally handed it in and had them say, yeah, this is it. This is awesome. So um, I wouldn't recommend doing that. Mm. <laughs> uh, that wasn't the chosen choice. But, you know, from you asked about the creative process or the writing process, you know, one of the things that really got me through, um, through that was when it came time to write that third manuscript and I had to I had to really, I had to really decide: Do I actually want to do this a third time, um, or do I just, you know, am I just going to walk away? Part of the thing that kept me in it was the fact that you know what, I'm a writer. Um, I, 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 I don't just write because it's a business tool. I don't just write because there's information that has to get out. You know, I write because those those happen to be wonderful benefits, but I also write because I love the craft of writing. Because when I'll read a sentence from a writer who I admire and start laughing out loud, not because it was funny, but because I can't believe how they crafted the words in, in a way that just made them sing. And I know it'll take me 10 more years to get to that place. And I'm okay with that. And because I love the craft. And for me, I decided that part of what I needed to do was create a new um, a new creative challenge that, and say, okay, I have a new set of constraints here. I need to learn a new approach to doing this. And so part of it was, okay, I need to write a new book, but also can I rise to the challenge of learning essentially a new approach to my craft, a new genre and a completely new way to write a book. And, and during the whole process, I kept finding myself drifting back into the old way. And I kept having to stop myself and say, no, 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 that's not this book. Um, that may be a future book, but that's not this book. 
and I kept having to kind of like pull myself back. And um, and it so it took a while, but once I started to find my groove, what I realized is that it's actually it was actually a much easier book to write than the books that I've written in the past. Once I actually figured figured that that newer process out. Oh, that's really cool, and that's really inspiring to hear, especially you know for people thinking about your book that there's so much thought and love and courage and um, hard work essentially that went into this book being the third manuscript that you wrote that's that's so amazing yeah you know I think it's funny people I think was it Hemingway who said like writing is easy just you know like open a vein and bleed onto the page yeah Um, or something it's I don't experience writing that way but but it definitely there are moments where you're just in complete and utter flow and it's this like state of grace yeah that you when you feel it you don't want it to end and you don't want to stop writing and right. it feels incredible and um and very often you 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 feel almost like the writing is just moving through you mm-hmm. you're more of a vessel than a creator um but for me at least those are not most of the moments that i write <laughs> um, yeah you know, there's just really hard work that goes along with it, and a lot of correcting and changing and editing. Um, and uh, I don't know. M- m- many of the greatest writers of our times, um, you know, shared that, that it stayed that way for their entire lives. There wasn't a point where they just became so good and so proficient that it was just magical bliss all the time. Yeah, I think that's so powerful and important for people to hear. Do you have? more specific with your writing do you write in the morning how did you you know was it an all-day thing did you have writing days and then you obviously you were still running your business at this time and doing your podcast and doing other things so did you have specific days for writing or specific times of the day for writing um how did you handle that yeah i would generally write in the morning um i'm, I'm up before anybody in my house so i get i get a couple hours early so Generally, especially if I'm under deadline, then I'll wake up in the morning, I'll do my morning practice, um, I'll grab something to eat and a cup of coffee, and then I'll, I'll go straight into my whatever is my um, sort of most highest demand creative work. And so when I'm on deadline for a book, it'll be that. Because I know that I don't have, I don't have unlimited bandwidth for that. You know, I've got probably two to three hours in the morning and then maybe another two to three hours in the afternoon or late evening. And yeah. uh, and that's it. And plus, I have you know, I have a life, I have a family, and I've I've multiple uh, um, <laughs> business things to to dance between during the day. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm the same way. Getting it in the morning because it might not happen the rest of the day, and that's and I'm freshest in the morning. So yeah, I, yeah, I love that you shared that. Okay, so I have some questions that aren't they're more fun and not directly related to your book necessarily. Cool. And some of them are are really quick and some of them are a little bit longer, but let's just start going through them. So what are you most curious about in your life right now? Hmm. Um, Most curious about... Man, this is hard because I'm curious about so many things. (laughs) You can name a couple if you want. (laughs) Um... I'm curious about uh, I'm curious about how we find belonging 
when so many of the sources of belonging um, for generations are dropping away. Um, what do you mean dropping away? They're either people aren't relying on them anymore or they literally um, don't provide it anymore. So for example, um, a huge source of belonging for many people is faith-based organizations, but there's the, the fastest growing class of people are what, are what what are called the nuns, which are people who are consider themselves spiritual but non-religious. Yeah. Um, they're moving away from traditional faith-based organizations. So where does it, where do those people find the the need for belonging satisfied? You know, mm-hmm. um, big companies, employers used to provide a lot of that. You know, a generation or two ago, and many don't anymore. Um, local trade organizations or leagues used to provide a lot of that, and a lot of those have vanished. So, and a lot of times, you know, family provided yeah. that, but a lot of families are really they're um, they're not splitting up in terms of you know, like, but they're just geographically right. They don't stay together the way that they used to a few generations mm-hmm. ago. So, where do we find belonging? Is a pretty major curiosity for me, and also um, simplicity. I think is becoming an increasing fascination for me not to the extent of sort of like extreme minimalism but just how do we live more simply um and the power of simplicity to to help us into experiencing a good life um so those are a couple things um those are great wow the simplicity one is fantastic and also really is something I'm curious about but man you really I really loved the examples that you gave I never really thought about that but I think that hunger for connection and community that that we all have I think do you feel like the internet is something that's replacing those things but I I, I tend to feel like it is yet it isn't because it's not necessarily real it's just virtual reality what do you think about the internet's role in that I think the internet can be a great starting point for a lot of people. Um, it can, it's a great way to find people who may be like-minded and may, where you may really find a sense of belonging and community. Uh, but it's not, it's not the same as actually meeting or congregating on a regular basis face-to-face in a room. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's a lack of empathy that happens when you put a screen between two people or even a group of people that I haven't been able to I, I, I'm not convinced that you can replicate I think it can be great to find and start relationships in my experience there's it just doesn't touch the level of connection and then the ability to find belonging that happens when you bring those people together in person I mean that's that's to a large extent why as much as we build programs and courses and stuff like that, and we have online communities, we also we do events um, and we bring people together. You know, either for small intensive weekends or for retreats or for you know, like big communal living events like camp. Um, because when you do that, there's it's profound. I mean, the 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 depth of the connections and the relationships and that sense of oh my god, I found my people. Mm-hmm. There's I have not found anything electronic that comes close to being able to experience that. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. That's, that's so cool. So, okay, a couple more questions. What was the best part of your day so far today? Mm, I could say this. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
best part. This of is my one of the highlights day. of my day. So awesome! I, mean, I always love true. talking to you. Yeah, I mean, it's this is an awesome part of my day. I'm, you know, there's, you know, I'm gonna reject your question actually. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't want to rank the parts of my day as cool. being better than or worse than. I just feel like you know, my job is to be present in all parts yeah. of my day, and and to just kind of say like you know, there's. Even in the most challenging parts of my day, there's something awesome that will emerge from it. Um, I may not see it now. I may not experience it as such in the moment, but I have faith that it will. Ooh, that's the best answer to that question that I've ever gotten. So <laughs> good job. The, the other one that's kind of similar, I guess, but what are you most grateful for in your life right now? Mm, First thing the, that comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, the answer is always pretty much the same. It's my family. It's my wife and daughter. Amazing. They're, yeah, they're everything. Okay, so something I've been thinking about a bunch lately, and I, I think I started to allude to this when we were chatting a little bit before we were recording, is something that I think is pretty common for people in their in their 20s where you're feeling, or I'll speak for myself, feeling a bit unfocused and, and kind of like a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none, and... I was wondering what advice do you have or did you ever feel that way when you're trying different things and you have a lot of different ideas and figuring out where to focus? Do you have any advice or thoughts and feelings on focus? Yeah, so I have a bit of a theory and I'm probably a bit of a contrarian in a world where um, words like multi-potential and um what are the other words that are sort of multi-passionate like, multi-passionate um there's another one um i i do believe that there are many folks who genuinely just um love being involved in pursuing many different things at the same time i have two concerns one is um i also have seen more than once um people use that label as a way to hide from committing to one thing that they really want to be doing and not being able to be as adept at it as they hope and dream of being and using that as an excuse to never step into a place where they actually see what they're capable of. And so I think it's really important to ask yourself the question, um, am I using this as a way to hide? Because I have seen many times that that's actually what's happening. It's not legitimate. It's actually a way to hide. Um, and that kind of leans to the, the, the last part of it, which is that there's so much research that shows that we are happiest when we are aspiring towards something deeply challenging and deeply meaningful. And when we are reaching towards, um, on some level, mastery or at least you know, um, high level of competence. And when you spread yourself sort of deliberately between five different things every day, all day, it's like, you know, the classic story of trying to dig five wells simultaneously. They all stay pretty shallow for a really long time. None ever hits water. And it keeps you in a state of sort of like perpetual sustained discontent. Um, and I, my, I sense that that can be really unfulfilling and ungratifying and um, to a lot of people, you know. So I look at what I'm doing these days 
And I increasingly am yearning to really narrow my focus and spend a lot more energy doing a lot fewer things. And over the next few years, it's already the process has already started to happen more for me. And over the next few years, um, it will happen even more. Wow. And that was the thing that really will stick with me from this conversation. That just hit me really hard and was kind of just the the like tough advice that that I needed to hear. So mm. thank you so much. And free podcast for everyone listening. That, <laughs> that answer right there is enough value um, for this. So so wow. Yeah, that just that just really hit me hard. So thank you, man. I, I hope in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, a really good way, but kind of a, a way of like knowing that I need to focus more for my happiness, for the contribution that I'll make. And yeah, it just was really impactful. Yeah, I mean, and you know, it's like a lot of this has come to me because I've just in the, the space that we both operate, I think we, we are surrounded by a lot of folks who like to split their attention and who are persistently unhappy with the way that they're experiencing life. So, you know, when I've had conversations with a lot of people about like the, the way that they're they love the fact that they're doing all these different things. And then if I ask them the question, how's that working out for you? Like not from a place of judgment, but genuinely, how's that working out for you? And the answer is that they really don't feel like they're living live. That's, that's good. Or that's anywhere near what they feel is their potential. Something's not right. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, I'm, I'm finding that I'm just curious if I was to focus 100% of my effort or even 90 into one thing rather than, you know, giving 30, 40, 50, not even close to 50, like 30 or 40% to a bunch of different things, what my impact would be or what my result would be or how I could create at a higher level. And, you know, some of that isn't really fixable with, you know, how we were talking about before of like making you're living so you can do these other things and having a family or other obligations you know you have to kind of spread yourself a little bit but focusing as much as possible I think is something that I'm I'm really curious about exploring and and making steps in that direction is seems like a really valuable thing yeah Yeah. I mean I I think um I really get concerned that we've lost we've lost track of the the grace of extraordinary competence you know, and the power that that can bring to our experience of life, um, of really just narrowing and developing a skill set. And, um, you know, I, I do a lot of different things. And at the same time, I want to get to a place in my writing where I can be that person where somebody one day picks up a book of mine 10 years from now, reads a sentence and is moved deeply and emotionally, um, not so much even because of the content of the sentence, but because of the way that the sentence was crafted. I'm not there yet, and it's probably going to be a long time, but I want that. Um, and that's going to make me keep working on it. <laughs> and yeah. and, prob- and probably, you know, giving up larger chunks of other things that I'm doing in the yeah. name of getting there. Yeah, me too. I, I completely agree with that. And First of all, you're well on your way because there were so many moments of that in your book 
especially in the introduction and the way that you told that story, I kept thinking, wow, he's an amazing writer. I I could see the entire situation with your mom and and the example and it was just really vivid and and really well done and um and i feel that way with with podcasting which kind of is my next somewhat selfish question that i wanted to ask you which is you know like i said before you were a big inspiration for me starting this podcast and you've been podcasting for years now so that's something that i'm really curious about putting my focus in and developing my craft more as an interviewer and a listener and a conversationalist and a curator of, of putting these conversations out. So what advice do you have about podcasting and advice or tips you have from interviewing so many inspirational people and the product that you put out with your podcast? Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, the And that's, that's almost in it like surprised me at how much I've really come to enjoy podcasting too. Um, and I think study, if you want to do an interview show, study the greatest interviewers that that are out there um, and really sort of look at how people have created amazing things before them. And also I think something that tends to be forgotten is when you're doing an interview format is that as an interviewer you still need to have a voice. And that doesn't mean that you need to sort of like dominate a conversation but it needs you, it means just the way that a writer has a voice you need to have a perspective. You need to have a frame. You need to have something that you're um, leading towards and and focused and building around. Um, you know, like for me, I, I established really early on in podcasting, and I um, yeah, so pretty early on. I remember seeing a comment on iTunes, and someone's like, "Really interesting guest, but I wish the host would just shut up and let them talk." And and at first, I was like, "Wow." You're like maybe they're right. Maybe you know I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm breaking the rule of interviews. Then I, I realized that actually that's not that's not the show that I'm doing. Yeah. You know, my show is not an interview show. It's it's intimate conversations about things that matter, and I use the word conversation very intentionally because I want to make it clear that this is not a straight Q and A show where one person asks a question, waits till the guest is done, and then they ask the next question. It's an actual conversation, um, and it can go back and forth. I've had times where you know guests have completely f- flipped the conversation on me and just started asking me stuff, and and that creates a dynamic where you know people will either opt in for that if you're like rooted in traditional TV interview and that's what you want to see and listen to, you're probably not going to like the show, and that's okay. You're not my person. If you're, <laughs> yeah, if you're open to something which is just more genuine and conversational and you feel like you're a fly on a wall in a conversation between two friends, then that's sort of like the tone. So I think it's really important to understand, you know, what's the format and what's the tone and what's the voice um, that you're building around. And then go and find people who are the best in the world at that and deconstruct what they've done and how they've done it. Yeah, very cool. Thank you so much for that advice. And Hopefully, in the past, since 2014, when you first came on the show, that's that's the goal. That's what I'm aiming for. And I think yeah. I think practice is another really big thing totally. after doing more than 100 of these now. <laughs> and you know, I'm glad. Like, I'm really glad you brought it up because between now and the first time we jammed, I mean, I've seen you grow as a podcaster, as as a host, as somebody. I mean, your you you your your craft. Um, has just become really 
noticeably better. Not that you were bad in the beginning. I'm not <laughs> in no way slamming you being, but just to say that you know it is really cool to you know we haven't actually sat down and done this for a couple of years now. So there, I have enough space between me. Whereas sometimes yeah. when you're on the inside looking out, you really can't see it in short windows. Where I can kind of look back and say, "Wow, this has actually been." Um, a really different experience, and uh, and I can see how much you put into into developing your craft as a podcaster. Mm, thank you so much. What a lovely compliment. Thank you so much. That means a ton to me. So, all right. Before I finally let you go, I just have a few really fun questions to oh. ask that are much shorter. So, what is the best thing you've eaten in the last week? First thing that comes to mind. Mm. Dark chocolate with almonds. Yum. Mm. What is your favorite part of living in New York City and your least favorite part of living in New York City? Did you grow up in New York City? Are you from there? Yeah, I grew up just outside of the city and I've been in the city for, I don't know, 30 years now or something like that. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're definitely qualified to answer this question. Yeah. (laughs) um, The best part is you can get anything you want anytime day or night is the most convenient well-resourced place on the planet and they're really interesting quirky um people uh you know it's probably the most interesting place on the planet um and there's literally the city does not ever shut down um that's also the the most challenging thing about the city for me is that it does never stop there's a level of energy and freneticism and sort of people that you know are constantly moving fast and amped that eventually starts to wear on you. Um, so, you know, the fact that Central Park exists three blocks from me on one side and the Hudson River exists two blocks on the other side is the thing that allows me to be okay in the city because it, it makes me, it lets me step out and kind of like step back into nature and touch stone and just sort of dial it back a little bit. Yeah, nice. What's your favorite city that you'd live in if you didn't live in New York City or favorite city outside of New York? Mm, yeah, I couldn't say that I would live in it, but some favorite. I love Boulder, Colorado. Um, I love Portland, love San Francisco. Um, and although I haven't been in a really long time now, um, Sydney, Australia is pretty cool. Melbourne's a pretty cool city as well. Cool. All places that I want to go. What are the best and worst parts of entrepreneurship? Hmm. Um, the hardest part for me, at least, is dealing with sustained high-level uncertainty about whether what you're doing is going to work. Um, and the best part is when it does. Mm. Very cool. Love that. So you're having a dinner party, and you can invite about three to five people. Who do you invite, and what do you hope that they turn and ask you, and what do you hope that isn't brought up that you just don't really want to talk about anymore, and what do you guys eat? <laughs> Is this like an alive or dead question? or people Yes, like, anybody. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to invite um, my family because I love hanging out with them. Um, the Buddha. Nice. Uh, Bono. Um, 
who else? Somebody in the art world, probably. Janis Joplin. And... Um, probably both Elizabeth Gilbert and Brene Brown. <laughs> nice. I totally want to come to that dinner party. <laughs> yeah. And as for what's on the menu... Yeah. Any damn thing we want. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, on the menu, it would be, uh, I don't know, a blend of just all sorts of delectable things. You can have a buffet. A buffet? Yeah. You can mm. have all of the things. <laughs> all right. Assuming that, like, there are no health or dietary restrictions, I'm going with, uh, lots of pasta. Nice. Um, yeah. Yes. Mm, some kind of fresh yummy vegetables and then um chocolate dark, dark chocolate with almonds <laughs> yeah that, that'll do we can actually probably replace all the food with that and i'd actually be equally okay <laughs> yeah. what do you hope that you guys that group would talk about at the party um i don't think the topic's really going to matter i think uh you just get that group of people who are totally. so genuinely interested and open and it's more just about the truth and, and the, the openness and the joy and the space that gets created. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so this question, last kind of fun question, it's really to just get you to recommend a couple things. So you're trapped on a deserted island and you can only bring with you one book, one movie, one song, and one podcast to listen to, what would you bring with you? Okay, so the book's going to be Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning or Dr. Seuss's Oh, the Places You'll Go. Nice. Um, yeah, two favorites of mine. Um, wait, what were the other options? Movie. Okay, movie. Mm. Anything that you want to recommend that you could... I'm trying to think. Uh, let's go back to that. Okay. Song. <laughs> Song um, would probably be something Bruce Springsteen. Probably um, like Thunder Road or Jungle Land from Springsteen. Nice. And what about podcast? Any other podcasts that you listen to that? you really like that you want to recommend to people that you could listen to on your island yeah uh krista tippett um on being oh, love 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 so she was she was one of my big inspirations somebody who i'm i'm just amazed at yeah uh, and cool. uh yeah um this american life i dig also yeah every week it's like i see the topic and i'm like how's he gonna make this interesting and he always does right yeah you know what i love about it also there's there's so much um, mythology around the podcasting world right now. Like, go and find the highest profile guests that you can find for your show, and because that's what's going to do things. And then, This American Life just completely obliterates that entire concept because you don't ever know anybody who's on This American yeah. Life. They're just all everyday, ordinary people who are yeah. going through really human stories, and yet is the most you know intensive, obsessive thing that you don't want to miss. Yeah, and the production quality oh, so good yeah 
Have you been listening to the um, the New York Times Modern Love column has a podcast now? Um, yeah, I caught one of them, but I haven't had a chance to listen oh, to any other. It's others. so good. I'm so into it. I feel like you'd really like it. It's a great storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to circle back to movie? Did anything pop into your mind, a movie that you really love or that you saw recently that you want to recommend? Anything there? Mm, oh, I'm sure there is. I'm just blanking on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Well, if you think of something while we're still talking or in the future, let me know. I'll cool. let people know. Got um, it. All right. So you ask on your podcast what living a good life means to you, and you've gotten some amazing answers over the years for that and last time that you were on the show my show was actually called something different of wellness wonderland and now or the wellness wonderland radio but now it's called same name as my book let it out with me and i want to know jonathan from you what do you still want to let out is there anything that you literally still want to let out on this podcast or just in life in general that still wants to come out of you Mm my artist my inner artist um and it's it comes out but um i want to let it out more and actually it's um it's in the process of coming out more almost as we speak Mm, amazing that's so great and i'm so excited for everything that your inner artist creates including this book so everybody will know where to find it obviously in the show notes i love it it gets a star of approval from me and i'm so grateful to you for being a mentor and a friend and coming on the show round two and i know we'll be connected for life so thank you again and i hope you had fun doing the podcast again yes my my absolute pleasure and thank you so much for inviting me it's always a lot of fun Oh, thank you. All right, that was my conversation with Jonathan Fields, take two. If you want to listen back to my first podcast episode with him, that is in the show notes. If you just need more Jonathan, that's one place to go. And then also check out his book. I really do love it. It's fantastic. Check it out for sure. And of course, his podcast, which we mentioned as well. So tweet at him tweet at me to let us know what you think of this episode if you have any questions we will get back to you and i will see you guys in the next episode love you bye